the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Let me give you a little bit of a, an update where we're up to. This is week three. We looked at uh, the first week, the context of the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul wrote it while he was in, a, in prison in Rome. Uh, wrote it to a church in a city called Colossae who was going through a bit of a hard time with false teaching entering the church. And so he wrote this letter essentially to correct a couple of things that were a bit wrong in how they were thinking and how they were behaving. And so uh, we actually looked at what those things were that the church was facing and soon realized that, that us in our somehow elite 21st century culture are facing the same issues that they faced 2,000 years ago in a very primitive first century church. And so then we broke down Paul's prayer in the midway through chapter 1 and could see how that really applies to us and how helpful that is for us. And last week I preached possibly my favorite topic of all time, uh, which is the preeminence of Christ. Preeminence simply meaning that surpassing all others. And we looked at theology, which is basically this. It's not a, not a, a hoity-toity word for academic intellectual Bible college people. It actually simply means what you think about when you think about God. So two blokes at the pub discussing the origins of life and if God is real are having a theological discussion. Because it's what you think about when you think about God. Now, in theology, there's lots of other ologies. The theology of the Holy Spirit, theology of the church, theology of end times. But the number one ology in all of theology is the theology of Christ or Christology, the nature and work of Jesus. And so we looked at that last week. And, and I'm so proud of a bunch of people who really did an honest stock take of their life, of their soul. And we went through a bunch of questions looking through the lens of, is Jesus preeminent in certain aspects, in my health? Is he preeminent? Does he surpass all others in my mind, in my relationships, in my finances, in my, in my everyday world? And then so many people stood to their feet to say, you know what? I want to make Jesus more preeminent in my life. That he really is Lord of all or he's Lord of none. And anything that takes the place of number one over Jesus is an idol. And God is a jealous God. The first commandment that he gave was, you shall have no other gods before me. So whatever we place as a higher priority, as surpassing Jesus, is an idol. So we looked at that last week, which is brilliant, if I do say so myself. So today we're going to jump into another passage in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to go from verse 24 down to chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to look at, at one of our favorite topics to ever talk about. The topic of suffering. Isn't that wonderful? I, oh, I can already feel you right now suffering at the thought of listening to a message on suffering. God bless you. I'll pray for you at the end. But I honestly believe with all my heart that this message is going to be helpful for a bunch of people. I'm going to call people forward at the end of this message, something I haven't done for a long time, and I'm going to call people to the altar so I can lay hands on and pray for people at the end. I just feel strongly to, to pray for people. Because I, I believe that God's going to bring breakthrough. God's going to bring comfort. And God's going to bring clarity this morning. So if you've got a Bible, first of all, congratulations, well done. Good book, good book, well purchased. Second of all, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24, you can flick or scroll with me, whatever you prefer. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Which, of course, we can all relate to that, right? I always rejoice in my sufferings. It's the first thing I do, to be honest. Uh, when I'm suffering, I just like to rejoice. Just 
Get out a big bag of celebration and just get amongst it. Love it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and he, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ." Let's be honest. You're probably thinking, what did he just read? What is, what, what was, I can see eyes glazing over. That seems like someone's talking to me with a, a bunch of peanut butter stuck to the roof of their mouth. It just doesn't make any sense. Let me break it down. Here are a couple of key points. Because it can be confusing. It can be like a pinball machine of thought sometimes where Paul is jumping from thought to thought and up and down. You go, what is he even saying? So it's my job to help make that a bit clearer. So here are a couple of key points that, that I can pull out of this passage. Is verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Verse 27, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Verse 29, for this I toil. And the this that he's talking about is being about the business of the kingdom with the energy God powerfully gives for us to toil. Chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. In chapter 2, verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Okay. So there are a couple of key thoughts that we pull out of there. Now, I want, I want to dig deep, a little bit deeper into those thoughts and pull out some stuff that, that I believe will be super-duper helpful. First thing I want to talk about is that we will suffer. Now, you might be full of hyper-faith and God bless your heart and think that nothing will ever happen to you because you're a son or daughter of the Most High God and that no pain, no toil, no trouble will come your way because you're secure in Christ and, and God has, has got you and you'll... And I've met people like this. And I would argue that these people are deluded by plausible arguments. It sounds right because we are a child of God that nothing will happen to us. But if we think like that, the reality is we position ourselves higher than the apostles who suffered for Christ's sake. We put ourselves above Paul who suffered and rejoiced in his sufferings. So we've got to come to, the terms, to terms with the fact that we in one shape or another, will 
suffer. It's part of living in a fallen world. It's part of living in a sinful world that things don't always go according to our preference or plan. But there's hope even in the midst of our suffering. Paul talks about it quite a bit, his suffering. We read just here, he rejoices in it. And then if you were to turn back just a couple of pages where you are now in Colossians chapter 1 to Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Can someone do that right now? Just this is a flip to Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. I want, I want to ask someone to read that out just to prove that I'm not making this stuff up. Who's got it? Someone? Anybody? Boldness? Go, Hannah. Awesome. Just read the first sentence in that verse. That's good, that's good, that's good. The whole thing, verse 12, just the first sentence of verse 12. Perfect. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We can read over that and go, cool, cool, so Paul's advanced the gospel, but back up a little bit. What has happened to him? This is why I love Scripture, because there's little nuggets in there that we just gloss over because we're looking for that coffee cup Scripture. We're looking for that little make me feel good. I could tweet that. I could put that on a T-shirt. This beautiful little catchphrase, soundbite Scripture, but we oftentimes can can move over stuff that's profoundly interesting and fascinating, like this particular phrase, what has happened to me? Jump back to Colossians. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. So he must have suffered. What happened to Paul? Okay, this is where it gets fascinating. Let's find out what happened to him. Acts chapter 21 to verse 28. We see it. Now you've got to sort of pull it out in, in chronological order to see what happened. But, but Paul was arrested. And he was um, in Jerusalem, was arrested, and then was beaten within an inch of his life. So badly that they held back right at the last minute because they had the intent to kill him. They wanted to go through with it, make it complete, complete and finished, or complenished, whichever you want. But the intent was murderous. And after that, he was put in jail in Caesarea for two years all the while recovering from the injury sustained from that beating. While he's in jail for this two years, hundreds of people were plotting his assassination. They were, they were disappointed they didn't finish him off when they had the chance, so waited for his prison sentence to lapse so he, they could actually finish the job they started. He then appeals to Caesar and says, listen, I've got to get out of here. Can, can you send me away? I want to be released. So Caesar agrees and then sends him to Rome by boat, extradites him up to Rome. He's on a boat with 275 other, other men, most of them prisoners, being sent up from Caesarea to Rome. Now what happens is a storm starts to brew, which is normal, right? You're on a boat, storms happen. This, this storm didn't just go for two hours. This storm didn't just go for two days. This storm lasted for two weeks, day and night, relentless. And we see that none of the 276 men on board ate for two weeks because they spent every energy they had fighting back the storm to keep the boat afloat. 
And there's no fairy tale ending to the end of this story because once the storm subsided, they actually shipwrecked and the boat decimated on the island of Malta. Many people died. Paul's life was spared. And so for three months, he was shipwrecked on this island of Malta, still as a prisoner, still in an exchange program to Rome, trapped as a prisoner. While he was there, he was bitten by a deadly viper that should have killed him but did not. And then eventually we see he takes, makes his way back, gets to Rome where he's put under house arrest and it's from this vantage point he writes this letter to the church in Colossae. I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Back to Philippians 1.12 because what has happened to me has actually caused to advance the gospel. It's fascinating. Because on that island of Malta for three months he led almost every single person to faith in Christ. Despite his chains, despite his suffering, he was about God's business and God moved powerfully through him. Why did the gospel advance? Why was the kingdom built in the midst of Paul's suffering? Because unlike us, God is not looking for perfect circumstances in order to fulfill his mission. He's not looking for blue skies and smooth seas in order to fulfill his mission. God knows that this world is broken. God knows you and I are broken. God knows we go through stuff. But his mission supersedes that. And despite our shortcomings, our failings, our imperfections, our suffering, God still has a plan and a mission to work through us and have the gospel advance with us being at the helm. Because his power is made perfect in our weakness, right? His power is not made perfect when we've become perfect. We've got all of our ducks in a, in a row. We've got our bank account full. Our health is good. We've got balanced our time and then we could do something about the kingdom. No, no, no. God's wanting us to go wherever we are, whatever we're going through. See, despite Paul's suffering, he prayed. Despite Paul's suffering, he worshipped. And the prison doors fell down. Despite his suffering, Paul planted churches. Despite his suffering, Paul wrote letters and encouraged churches. Despite his suffering, Paul was about the kingdom business. See, the church operates at its optimum when it prioritizes and unites around Christ regardless of external circumstances. That's when we flourish. That's when we thrive. That's when we grow, where we can look at the external circumstances and say to ourselves, regardless of what these are, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be about the kingdom business. In fact, I would go so far as to say that when you look through history, some of the brightest times in church history are when the church was in the darkest times in the world. Some of the greatest revival have been birthed out of times of persecution. Because it's in the darkest times the light shines the brightest. It's in your darkest moment of suffering that God can actually shine His light the brightest. But so often we hide behind our suffering and we hide behind our circumstance as if we're not ready or, or, or it's too bad or God is not powerful enough to work through us because we've got all this stuff going on. And if I could be so bold as to say this, sometimes what we do is we bow our knee to our suffering and make it our Lord, rather than bow our knee to our Saviour 
despite our suffering and watch Him move powerfully through us because it's His energy that will flow through us to empower us to do the work He's called us to do. Not by might, not by strength, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. As we move on, digging that big deep, what we see in this passage is suffering is okay because Christ is in us. The hope of glory is in us, so it's okay if we suffer. This hope keeps us on track to toil in proclaiming the gospel. Christ is in us so we can continue to be about the kingdom business. Because then God's energy empowers us to endeavor to be about the business of the kingdom. And this kingdom business, when we're active in it, knits us together, the church, in love and in unity. This unity unlocks God's mystery, which is Christ. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And unifying around Christ, being about kingdom business, protects us about being deluded by plausible arguments that will try to derail or distract us and take us off our mission. I love the fact that it uses this, this term plausible arguments. Something is plausible, it means it sounds like it could be right. That's, that's realistic, that's reasonable, that's plausible. Our suffering is a plausible reason to back away from being involved in kingdom life. Sounds reasonable. Right? I'm not well enough, I don't have enough money, I'm not qualified enough, or I've got too much going on in my world. But do not be deluded by these plausible arguments that will try and derail and distract you from God's plan and mission in your life. That despite your suffering, circumstances or shortcomings, God wants to move powerfully through you and reveal the truth of who He is in your life. Viktor Frankl. Some of you may know this guy. He wrote a book that sold 15 million copies, so he's quite well known but some of us may not know him. He was a Christian psychiatrist who for three years endured the suffering of being a prisoner in four separate Nazi concentration camps during World War II. He witnessed and experienced suffering on a level that you and I would never be able to even fathom or imagine. Nine months after his wedding, his entire family were arrested and sent into concentration camps. It was here that his pregnant wife died of a combination of starvation and typhus. His dad died from pneumonia and starvation while his mother and his brother were taken into the chambers and gassed. And for three years, he, wit he witnessed horror after horror after horror. And many of you are aware of what happened in that time in history. It is one of the saddest, darkest times in human history. About one year after his release, he wrote a memoir called Man's Search for Meaning, where he documents his experiences and his observations. I read this book just recently and... The one thing that stood out to me was this one line he said in the whole book. The first half of the book, basically, he talks about his experiences, what he saw, what he went through. 
And the second half of the, of the book is his, his observations from a psychiatrist's point of view on the human condition and the human spirit. Like psychological type of stuff. But there's one phrase stood out to me. He said this, after all he'd been through, suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds a meaning. Let that just sink in. Suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds a meaning. One thing he observed was the week between Christmas and New Year, unlike any other week in the year, had a massive spike in the death of prisoners in these concentration camps. Year after year, that week just, boom, skyrocketed. And it wasn't to do with the bitter cold of a European winter. What he observed was Christmas was this linchpin moment for these, these prisoners. That every one of them had this idea in their head, if I could just get to Christmas and be home by Christmas, it's all going to be okay. And so they had this, this idea, this vision for their future that they would be home by Christmas. And so that, that hope, that vision was what kept them alive, is what, what kick-started their their survival instincts to be able to get through to Christmas. And then when Christmas came and Christmas went, guess what went with Christmas? Their hope. Because they weren't home, they weren't released, they were still imprisoned. And so as soon as hope left, so did the survival instincts to continue on. And shortly after, one by one, they died at record rates every single year. Because when hope goes, so does life. Frankel writes this, the, the prisoner that has lost faith in the future, indeed his future, is doomed. See, none of us right now are facing the horrors of what this guy faced in World War II. And I don't say this stuff to sort of measure your suffering against that, like, come on, pull your socks up, you'll be right. Suck it up, princess. At least you can go, he, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, your suffering is your suffering and your response to it is valid. I'm not trying to compare to this, but what I'm trying to, to extract out of this is the truth that this guy has seen in the midst of the worst of the worst. And what we can learn is that suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds a meaning. And I believe this is why Paul can say that he rejoices in his suffering, because he knows that his suffering, what has happened to him, has actually caused the gospel to advance. There's been a meaning attached to his suffering, which means he can rejoice, because there's something greater going on than just the temporary circumstance of his current situation. This is why James writes in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, that we should count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Why? Because there's meaning to those trials. And the meaning that James writes here is that it would produce steadfastness. And this steadfastness, once it's had its work in us, would, would, would bring us to a place of completion and perfection, lacking nothing. Think about this. 
almost all of the apostles that were with Jesus, that walked with him, witnessed his miracles, witnessed his death, his burial, his resurrection, were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell and then raced out to fulfill his mission to go into all the world and make disciples. And they started planting churches and encouraging churches and spreading the gospel. Almost every single one of them died by martyrdom, were crucified for their faith. Which is awful. Or is it? Maybe their suffering wasn't suffering because their suffering had found meaning. And the meaning was to be about kingdom business, about something bigger, about something greater. That they realized that the Christ was in them, the hope of glory. And greater is he that is in you, right? Than he that is in the circumstances or suffering that surrounds you. This is real, radical faith. This is hardcore Christianity, where we can look beyond our circumstances and still be about his mission because he is in us. Paul says this in Philippians 4 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He also says this to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You can rejoice in your sufferings. Because what happens to you can actually cause the gospel to advance. What happens to you can actually not disqualify you, but actually qualify you to be an active member in God's great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. So let's act like Paul. What we've seen in Paul, what we've learned from Paul, what we've heard from Paul, let's put these into practice and understand that the God of peace will be with us. Full, full disclaimer alert. This message is brilliant in theory. Theory, it's flawless. Man, it's flipping hard to live it out. Because life is tough. And I'm not going to get up here and, you know, start to say, you guys need to put your big boy pants on, roll your sleeves up and just get it done, suck it up but at least we have a trajectory to point ourselves towards. We're not stuck in the hopelessness and despair of our suffering, that we can at least cast our eyes to realize that God is with us, that despite our circumstances, we can continue on mission, on purpose, be about the kingdom business, because greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. Because suffering does cease to be suffering when we find meaning in that suffering. So I want to pray for people this morning. There's two things I want to pray for. We're going to finish very quickly. And I don't know what your suffering is. Maybe your suffering is health-related. Maybe your suffering is financial. Maybe your suffering is relational. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Maybe your emotional health is taking a battering and you're just suffering internally and no one knows about it. I, I don't know what your suffering is. And, and again, I'm not trying to compare levels of suffering. Suffering suffering. 
But if you find yourself in that category where something's going on in your world and you, f- you would say, yeah, look, actually, I'm, I'm struggling. Maybe suffering's too extreme world. Maybe, maybe struggling might be a better word to describe the situation you're facing with. Or maybe you're in a battle or a wrestle. I want to pray for you. I want to lay hands on you. I want to impart God's presence and Holy Spirit into your world to do two things. First and foremost, I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring comfort to you in your time. That the nearness of God would be like a soothing ointment for your soul. Not that you would try better, not that you would do better, no, no, that you would rest in Him and feel His comfort in your struggle, in your suffering. And then the second thing I want to pray for is that you would find meaning to it. That in the midst of the storm that's going on around you, you've got an anchor that goes deep and is solid. And that anchor is meaning, that anchor is purpose. And so many people get thrown around and tossed around because they don't have that meaning. They don't understand the big picture that's at play. They don't understand what's going on. So I want to pray that God would comfort you and I want to pray that God would bring meaning and clarity in the midst of what you're going through. So if you've got your communion cup, why don't you grab that? We're going to break communion together. Then I'll pray for you. Never gets, never gets old, that sound, does it? As we take the juice and we take the bread that resembles, represents Jesus, I want us just to take our minds back to last week. The preeminence of Christ, surpassing all others. I want you to see see the struggle you're facing. See the battle you're in. And then by faith, I want you to see Jesus is preeminent over your struggle. Jesus is surpassing or others in the midst of your battle. And in your heart, say, God, forgive me of elevating this thing higher than you. Forgive me for putting trust in myself in the midst of this struggle without fully putting my trust in you. And, and this morning, by faith, God, I, I thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord of all, not Lord of some or Lord of most, but Lord of all, including my suffering. And as I take this juice, as I take this bread, as I remember the sacrifice you made for me, I have full assurance that Christ, you are in me, the hope of glory. And I surrender to you and not to this suffering anymore. Just in your own space, in your own time, just do that. Just take that communion. Pray a variation of that prayer, whatever that means for you. It might be too complicated. Just say, thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we all just stand to our feet? We're going to finish in three minutes. And while we're all standing, we're going to turn this service into a prayer meeting. We were either going to be receiving prayer or activating our faith to give prayer. And if anything I've said this morning, you're like, yeah, I need, I need you to pray for that. If you knew that that was you that needs to come forward for prayer this morning, would you, would you be bold enough to do that? Just come up the front. I don't, I don't need to know your deep, dark secrets of the battle you're going through. God knows that. God absolutely knows that. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? This is, this is why Jesus is so incredible because he gets our suffering because he himself suffered. Physical pain, relational betrayal, people stealing from him. He gets it. So he shares in our weaknesses but he also provides us strength and hope on the other side. Incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Church, why don't we pray? This is not a solemn moment. This is a celebratory moment. This is a moment where Jesus does incredible work in and through people's lives. This is the moment where, where chains start to fall off people's lives. This is the moment where the Holy Spirit starts to hug people, embrace them, give them hope, breathe new life into them. This is the moment that people can step out of the, 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 the bondage of, of suffering and into the freedom of new life and peace in Christ. And if that doesn't get you excited as a Christian, maybe your life's too busy with other stuff. Because this, this moment is what it's actually all about. God touching people and setting them free. This is what I live for. So let's pray. Don't be shy. Come on, you get excited when the band's up here. Don't be about, about the music. Let it be about the Spirit of God. This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every single one of these incredible people up the front. Lord, you know their need. You know their struggle. You know their battle, God. But Lord, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is yours. Father, would you bring freedom? Would you bring healing? Would you bring deliverance to every one of their lives, Father? In this moment, let the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard their hearts and minds in you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for comfort. Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. Bring comfort to their hearts, Lord. Comfort to their minds. Comfort to their spirit. Comfort, Lord. Comfort. Comfort, Lord God. Jesus. Jesus. The great comforter. Holy Spirit. 
like a warm hug from heaven, bringing security, bringing life, bringing peace, bringing hope. Thank you, Jesus. Comfort, comfort. Minister to these people, God. Touch them. Touch of heaven, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit. Love and grace and peace. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Bring your peace. Bring life. Bring peace. Bring life. Thank you, God. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for joy. Thank you for strength. Thank you for hope. Holy Spirit. Comfort and peace. Holy God, Holy God, touch you. Touch Judy, Lord God. You're the friend that sticks closer than a brother, God. You care, you love. You care, you love. Thank you, God. Thank you for John, Lord God. Holy Spirit, touch him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Lord Jesus, freshness. Strength in the battle. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray specifically for these people, God. Did you bring clarity? You bring truth. You bring life. That right now in this moment, God, that your Holy Spirit would bear witness to the truth of Christ in them who is who reveal all knowledge and all wisdom to them to bring them meaning right now to their suffering, God. Holy Spirit, you have comforted and you will comfort. You bring love, you bring peace. But Jesus, we ask that you would bring truth and you would bring life for them to see a greater purpose at play in the midst of their suffering that is not just about the battle, it's about the victory that, that they're fighting for. So God, would you give meaning to the suffering? Bring truth in the storm and that the strength of heaven and the energy of your presence empower them to continue to be about the kingdom's business loving people serving people going into all the world and preaching the gospel making disciples in Jesus name Amen. Powerful. So good. This week's going to be an interesting week for all of you guys. I think, I don't know, I actually, this is, this is going to sound really crazy, but I actually believe what I was praying. I was actually believing that the Holy Spirit would be like that comforter, that hug, that security blanket. And I actually believe that, that Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life, will bring you the truth you need this week that will give meaning to the suffering. Because you're not suffering because it's just woe is me and you're just being unfairly targeted. There's, there's a reason. When you find that 
greater calling, that greater purpose, that greater meaning, then the suffering becomes less because it becomes more about that mission. I believe God's going to do that. I believe God's going to actually reveal that to you guys. And that's going to actually perpetuate that comfort and that peace and that presence of God in your life because that meaning does that. That meaning brings that. And this is the beauty of the church. We're not alone. And when, when we unite around the kingdom business, around Jesus, who empowers us, who, is, who in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are held, then what that does is in that unity, we are guarded against being deluded by plausible arguments. And the, the idea of these plausible arguments is to disconnect you from the unity, from the collective, and isolate you off to the side somewhere so that you can die a slow spiritual death alone. But when we unite in Christ, despite our sufferings, when we get to the point where we actually rejoice in our sufferings because we understand there's context and meaning for them, then God unites us, He knits us together in love. We become united around Christ and we are inoculated, vaccinated. We, we are protected against the delusion that we should be somewhere else or that we should be disconnected, or we can do it on our own. We can't. We need one another. This is the family. This, this is home. We need one another. So when you see someone up the front here, don't go and hang in your little coffee group afterwards and just catch up about the footy. Ask them how they're going. Tell them they're awesome. Give a word of encouragement. That's what brothers and sisters do, right? That's what we should do as a church. Because we are... Too small of a church to have big church problems where people don't know each other. Let's go out of our comfort zone this morning. Have a coffee. Just check on one another. How you doing? You doing okay? You're awesome. Well, I've met you before. My name's Justin. Whatever. Hey. So good. I love Colossians. I love Jesus. I love this book. It's amazing. Hey, we're going to finish right there. As I said, we're going to give the kids workers a relax, uh, easy day today. But hey, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you back here next Sunday.